Hey, this is Robbie V, and you are listening to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. Welcome to episode number 35 of the Minnesota Music Shakedown, a podcast dedicated to spinning some of the best original Twin Cities and beyond area music. Featured this week are conversations and new music by Robbie V and Samuel Wilbur. I'm your host, Mark Sterry. Check me out at MarkSterryMusic.com. And thank you for supporting live and local music. Hey, this is Samuel Wilbur, and you're listening to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. Thought the world would slow down when I got older But it only seems to be picking up pace Sometimes I wish these moments would move slower Seems like the times that are the nicest Quickly end and fade away Gone, it's getting colder Well, there's no place in the world I'd rather be And the leaves fall down But the trees keep getting older Well, I'm past the age my parents were When they gave birth to me Well, I'm past the age my parents were When they created me I am older now and so are my friends Some have families, some have wound up there It's such a fragile existence that we live You could wake up one day and everybody's gone You could wake up one day and see that you were Like I'm much older Seems like yesterday I was turning 17 But nowadays I know that I am closer I'm past half the age of the average life expectancy It's hard to see a memory in the moment more time passes, more they fade away The good ones, they get lost as we outgrow them Well, I'm past the age your parents were when they went separate ways Well, I'm past the age your parents were when they went separate ways And I've grown older now and so Cruel 
That was the song The Age by Samuel Wilbur. Hear from Samuel later in the program. Next up, Robbie V talks about his latest album, Double Spin. Afterwards, hear the song Buzz. Robbie V, welcome to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. How's it going today there, Robbie? Doing great. That's awesome. Good to see you, Mark. Where are you zooming in from? So I'm today I'm in Prior Lake. In Prior Lake. And Prior Lake, Minnesota for the holiday. Nice. And so Robbie has one of the cooler backgrounds I've seen in the nine years of doing this podcast. Gold records up and down the wall. Can you tell us about where you're sitting today? I am in my studio. Wow. And I I have a wall of gold in my studio. It's my father's top 10 records from the from the the Billboard charts and the UK charts. And I've I've slowly over the years uh accumulated collections and i i'm I'm trying to um you know put together somewhat of a museum piece um on him cool if you could collect it i collected the top tens and and i've got um uh, little you know pieces that i i have two daughters i want them to kind of see my dad's career and you know that kind of thing i gotcha if you could keep only one of those on the wall behind you what one would you keep so my favorite is um uh, it would be "Come Back and You Grow Up, Girl" right here. Okay, it's the one. It's the one on the far side there. Here. Yep. This. Super cool. That's a three million seller right there. Really? So that's back when gold records were million sellers. Wow. They changed that to plant sometime in the early seventies, I think. I gotcha. Well, so that's these were all million sellers except for "Come Back" was three million. Jeepers! That's some pretty interesting, pretty interesting family heritage right there. Wow, it goes so, all over, I got doesn't it? I got, so I got my jukebox. This is my recording studio. You can kind of see it. Oh, I was going to ask you where so you track this record. That's your studio, huh? Yeah, yeah. And so I got, but this jukebox is cool because I got all my dad's top. He's got, he had 30, 38 top hits. So I've got all 38 in there in order that they came out. And, um, and then I've got, uh, you know, I've got my awards on the other wall and all wow. my kind of memorabilia. That's outstanding. I've got my, I've got my Happy Days jukebox over here. I love it, man. I love it. Um, so I see there's course, a huge poster of your latest record, Double Spin. Where'd you get that printed? That's pretty neat. So that, you know, I somebody gifted that to me. If you're in this business long enough, you meet so many people and, and you do anything and they send you stuff. Yeah. That was, that was, yeah. A, that was a gift from a, a, print, a, a guy who prints T-shirts and does stuff for me. Sent me that. So I see the poster behind your shoulder is of the winter dance party at the surf. Is that at the surf ballroom? That one. So this is this is an interesting piece. It's um. So this is the only existing poster for the day the music died, February third. Really? So how many people? I don't know if your listeners are aware of the of the Buddy Holly story, but my father filled in the night that Buddy Holly passed away. The music died February third. 1959, Bobby B in the Shadows. And um, it was, uh, my, my, the Buddy Holly had just played the surf ballroom and his, his plane went down on the way to play the Moorhead Armory and uh, took the life of Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, the big bopper. So this is the show that didn't, ha- it happened. Um, Waylon Jennings filled and my dad, they put out a thing on the radio for a local band to show up. My dad did his first show ever uh, filling in this night. And it kind of, it launched his career. Wow. And so this poster, this is kind of interesting, but this poster is a copy. Um, the, the real poster was put in front of me uh, a few years back to buy. And um, I think they wanted, I was going to offer like $50,000 for something like that. Um, and I called, I called Bob Becker, who was with the, uh, one of the groups that, that filled in that night. And the, you know, the people who, that were living and, and, and remember that night. And um Nobody could tell me it was real. Nobody could, could, could tell me that there was actually two shows that night because um, that's what the poster says. And uh, I historically, there was one show. Never anybody, I mean, I've toured everywhere. People talking about they've been to this. They were there that night. Nobody ever said there was supposed to be two shows. So I thought it wasn't real. 
And um, I just couldn't justify trying to get it. This is the most expensive poster to ever sell in auction. I think it sold for almost a half a million. Uh, it was like four hundred eighty thousand um, dollars. It sold for. Wow, half a million dollars. That's that's absolutely <laughs> incredible. Um, so it made my fifty thousand dollar offer. You know, if I could have got it, it would have been you know. Wow. Something. Oh, you got a suburbs T-shirt on, Hugo. I love those guys. Yes, I'm a, I'm a fan. Huge fan of the suburbs. That is my next project. Me and Beach Cheney are putting a record together. Really? Where does he live? So he's uh, he just moved into a uh, down on the beach in Manhattan, Manhattan Beach, California, and we've been working on a, a record. We've been writing since we've been writing over the since last January. It was almost a year. We've been writing songs and um, accumulating material that we feels good and. Um, I'm. That's the. That's that's what's going on in this studio. We've been. I got the beat. I got here. I got the the famous beach tar here. Oh yeah, I was gonna ask you about that too. Actually, the beach tar is is the is the, uh, it's the the black Les Paul. But this is the one he he lit on fire, um, at the. Uh, the Minnesota Music Awards, really? The, the year that he, the year that he played with Prince, and um, I think Prince debuted when Doves Cry or something like that. But this is, yeah, they they closed their show by Beach lighting his gear on fire. Oh and this my was, god! Uh, yeah, so this is you see the back where it's torched. That is, I think awesome. it's also. If you look at the video, I got my goggles on. I think he's playing this one too. But I mean, it's, this is a. He had three three guitars that throughout his career that he this one the, the Beach tar and then. Um, a gold uh, mid '60s strap that he used to play. What kind of music yeah, are you so guys writing? People ask me that. Hugo was actually here not a few weeks ago, and we're going to bring him in on the project too. Um, oh, I love Hugo. Absolutely love Hugo. So we, we were talking, you know, people because I'm a rockabilly guy, and I'm that's what I'm known for. You know, that's what I got my awards for. Um, and then Beach is kind of. If you're familiar with the suburbs, he's more of a, he's the punk rock element. So like you had like Chan, who was kind of the pop guy. And then you had um, Beach, who's the punk rocker. So our connecting point musically is that rockabilly kind of comes from a garage rock and roll. I mean, rockabilly became pop music with songs like Party Doll by Buddy Knox, who you know was a rockabilly guy. And then he had a number one hit with a rockabilly song and became a pop song. Johnny Burnett, you guys like my dad who came out of rockabilly and the rawness and the garage sound of it. And then happened to write these pop songs and they, they, they became hits. But, um, so I kind of come from that raw feeling of music, uh, which is a lot like, I guess, punk rock would be another generation of that feeling. And so Beej and I kind of have that connecting point and we both love songs and we love pop songs. So we're kind of the uh, the two guys that have that raw emotion, but we like to package it into a song that's accessible and pop-like. So it, it's kind of like we're on a, we've always been on the same road, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, I, especially in my opinion, the Suburbs, the In Combo record, their first one or whatever, is very kind of just straight up rock and roll. I can see it mixing with rockabilly. It is. And, you know, that record was... You know, you you can kind of hear which one, which songs Chan influenced and which ones Beach influenced. Yeah, and um, you know, like Chemistry Step, for example. I mean, that's about as straight up raw energy as you get. Um, but I love all that stuff. You know, um, you know, you think of my dad's hits, and they're they're very polished pop songs for the for the time period. But he was a rockabilly guy. You know, you know, Susie Baby. He wrote he wrote. Rockabilly songs. Yeah, um, he just said he worked with Snuffy Garrett, who was the biggest pop producer of the '60s, and, and they put together pop records. Um, if I could ask you, so. so before we talk about Double Spin, what would be? So we keep bringing up rockabilly. What is? Let's say my grandma's listening. What's your definition of rockabilly, and what would you say would be your Mount, your personal Mount Rushmore of rockabilly influences? Yeah. So. Um, it's a good question. Uh, I could tell you that 
um, the definition of rockabilly to me is it's a definition that's kind of floated with me through my life, which is it's it's when um, styles came together, you know, from jazz, the bebop of the fifties to um, <clears throat> um, you know the R and B, um, blues. Um, it's a country, you know, Chad Atkins, uh, Carl Perkins, the Memphis sound. Uh, to me, um, I look at, at Memphis as being rockabilly. They were, Memphis and, and Nashville were kind of doing the same thing back in that time period. But, but um, you know, Memphis was the gateway to the South. So it had that, that, that porch thumping and it was a little more raw. And it just had, a di- there was a different angle on it. Um, and it had a, a melting pot of like Carl Perkins, who's like the, the, the guy. I mean, he, he was, it was a melting pot of styles. You get Bill Hay in the comments doing a, a bebop guitar solo. Um, you know, Dwayne Eddy using his guitar as a voice. Um, you know, Eddie Cochran was the guy that kind of, first time I saw his album cover, I, it's like, I'm doing this with my life. And I went out and had some pants made, you know, with, with the diamonds on the side and, I wanted to be him. Gene Vincent, these are the guys. Um, obviously, Elvis Presley. You know his his records were were released. Um, he was the gateway into rock and roll in the Midwest. His records were released on country stations. You know that's right. Mama was on a country station, and then people would listen to it, and well, that's rock and roll. So it's <clears throat> it's kind of like it, rockabilly is a crossover, and in my records through the years, I still consider myself rockabilly. Even though I'm, I'm, some people would say Americana, I guess, but uh, I still cross styles. And, and with rockabilly, it's important that you're a, you're a single voice and that people listen and go, "That's Robbie V." You know, that's Bobby V. You you are yourself. That's Roy Orbison. You listen to it, and you know exactly who the artist is, and then you have the ability to kind of cross lines and and, and go in different directions. And that's to me, that's kind of the the essential piece of rockabilly is being a singular voice that can move around in, in different styles bring them together i gotcha i gotcha and that would be your mount rushmore like uh gene vincent like, uh, and yeah i mean elvis has to be there um eddie cochran gene vincent those are the two guys that probably are the single most important with carl perkins um and my family would be you know, Buddy Holly's in there. Um, Roy Orbison. Roy Orbison became like the, the balladeer of rock and roll, you know, with strings. And, and my dad kind of started in that Elvis Gene Vincent camp and moved into the Roy Orbison camp where you know, it was like st- strings and rock and roll, you know. Um, but I think that's the Mount Rushmore. You know? uh, Chuck Berry's in there, even though he's more of a rock and roll artist. Um, these are the guitar guys. Yeah. Hell yeah Richard. Man. Yeah. Lewis. I mean, some people call it nostalgia. Some people call it oldies, I guess. I don't know, but it's these guys created the, the blueprint. I hear you. That's awesome. Um, all right. We'll jump to your record double spin. Um, they're like rockabilly. I was just going to, I was going to ask you about a few songs off double spin. Like the ones that stood up to me, your song moon soon sunset. I thought that was more singer songwriter. Like, yeah, I think you do Americana back and forth. Yeah. So you know somebody gave somebody made a comment about this record here. This one right here. It's a cool album cover too. First, by the way. Thanks. So yeah, I mean it's. I'm not a real huge critic to myself, you know, critic of myself, or I don't. I'm not a. I'm not a very judgmental person in general. I don't. I just kind of do what I feel like doing, and as long as it's honest, I don't apologize for anything or, or I feel like I gotta explain too much, but. This record, um, it comes out of three projects. So the first one, the first half of the record, I, I put together for Alzheimer's um, Foundation of America. I'm a spokesperson for them. AFA, there it is. I was going to ask you about that, and, too. Uh, That's incredible. Yeah, so, I, so I, I put together a record for them to bring awareness and raise money for them. And then I put together... Um, Double Spin, which was a once again a singer songwriter kind of record, it's a little more rock and roll and rockabilly. And then I added two bonus tracks, which are singles, uh, "Forever Kind of Love" and "Good Morning." All of it to me, it's kind of um, 
it's it, it's it's more singer songwriter this record than than ones in the past are just really blatant rockabilly. Um, and a, a, a guy I had an opinion of. He said that you know he was talking about my dad's career because I'm pretty influenced by him just going down the road with him over all the years. And there was a time in the '70s when he put out a record similar to this, and he never really did another one like it. And I loved that record, and it was kind of not really a conscious goal, but it's something that I always thought it'd be fun to to kind of move in that direction and do the the next record what would have been done. What and was the title that, of that record say, of your dad's in the '70s? I'd love to look it up myself. It's called "Nothing Like a Sunny Day," and it was put out. Um, it was so off. Um, target from what the record company um, branded him as. They they put it out under uh, Robert Thomas Bellin, which is his his birth name, and they they kind of departed from the Bobby B thing. And um, so he should have just put it out. It's kind of like Rick Nelson doing you know Garden Party it was that kind of a record. It was that California in the seventies California country sound, and. Um, which I think is amazing. I love that sound. So this, it's a great singer songwriter sound. And I would say that this record falls into that category. And, you know, Ricky Nelson's another guy that probably belongs on that wall of Mount Rushmore, you know, um, rockabilly. <clears throat> um, you, 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 Creedence Clearwater Revival, you know, CCR, they're rockabilly. That's what they are. They, they've taken the same elements of the fifties rockabilly and, but in a different time period and put them together like a melting pot. So you start, when you watch how that melting pot was created originally and how it moved through generations, CCR would be a great example of 70s rockabilly, you know? I think you get into the Stray Cats and things like that, and there's like a blatant um, path of, of recreating nostalgia. And then it's like, well, that's rockabilly. But in truth, if you follow the, the spirit of rock and roll and rockabilly from the beginning and how it molded into like people like CCR and people like that, there is a an evol you know evolution of the idea of rockabilly that I think I I still kind of you know pay tribute to. Outstanding. That's that's a great answer. Um, what's the story behind the song Buzz? And where did you film that cool video? on YouTube and behind, was that the surf or something like that? Oh, so that was, um, I'm trying to, yeah, I'm, I'm so, I don't even watch my own stuff, but <laughs> buzz that, that was from a live show. I, I believe it was actually like a, a casino or something, you know, we had, we had a video guy that traveled with us and he took shots from the concerts. And, um, that was from a casino, a big casino stage. Um, Buzz is a song that I wrote with a, a poet um, from Las Vegas. And he, I, I remember him from my childhood. We were, we were, our families were close. His dad was one of the top guys at Billboard magazine, friends with my dad. He was one of the top editors. And um, he, I reconnected with him, connected, connected with him over the years. And he, he had this, um, he was into poetry and he had all these really great poems that were edgy and, and kind of like, uh, like his poems reminded me of like um, Bernie Taupin, you know, the, the uh, Captain Fantastic record for Elton John, where the, the lyrics are just, um, you could interpret them in so many different ways. They're just edgy and they're interesting and it's it's not your typical, you know, moon and June kind of thing, you know. Um, it's just off guard. So I really liked it and I liked the direction of being just really unique and original in songwriting. And so I got together with him and started writing and Buzz was like the first song we wrote together. And it's, I, I was looking for a song for my show to open the show. And I just wanted something that was kind of celebratory and just kind of uh, upbeat and um, just had the, the, that real put people in a space kind of thing. And, uh, you know, the guitar and all that stuff. And so that was the song we came up with. I love it. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your all Alzheimer's awareness project that you do and the, what you do for all that? Yeah. So I, my father uh, passed away from Alzheimer's a few years back. And um, while he was still alive, Kim and I started working on projects together to, to kind of um, for the foundation. 
um, we, I didn't have a lot of knowledge or experience around Alzheimer's. I don't, honestly, I don't think anybody in my family that I know that even had it. Um, so I reached out to the foundation just as a resource to kind of, you know, figure out, you know, what, how do I deal with this with them, um, tools and ended up, they asked me if I wanted to be a spokesperson and, and, and I, cause I, I was kind of doing projects anyway, and they started getting me involved with fundraising. And, um, I think the first thing we did was a car show, the Minnesota, um, autos dealership car show, the big, their big car show. We brought his 64 and a half Mustang in and him and I showed up and, and, uh, you know, handed out t-shirts and, and that kind of stuff and envelopes for donations. And then I took it, we decided my dad and I, let's write some songs and, and, and put together a record that we can sell and put out and promote. Um, and we'll give the royalties to the company and, and sell t-shirts and send them checks. And so we did, we, we kind of put together a fundraising thing and I've just kind of kept doing it over the years. Um, it's one of the heart projects for me. That's great. Artist raising. That's what they call it. It's nice. Um, Robbie, I think that'll be cool for the interview and I'll clip this up in a few episodes and we'll, I'll add music and stuff like that. Um, I was wondering if you'd do a... I'll show you, one, I'll show you one thing before you go here. Oh, yeah. No, I got to have you do a bumper quick, too. So this is uh, this is my shadows, my dad's shadows wall. That's that the is awesome. Yeah, I've got the, the Elston gun story with 3M. Is that Bob Dylan? Yeah. Jesus so Bob Dylan. Christ. A lot of people don't know. It's a good Minnesota music story. He started out in my dad's band. No way. There's another picture of Bob Dylan right there. Yeah, so is that you and Bob Dylan down there? Yeah. Holy so it's, it's, shit. And here he is. Uh, Bobby, uh, here's his. Uh, oh, Bob's my in, in God. Didn't, t yeah, did Tom Mischke just interview those guys not that long ago or a couple years ago? Um, Maybe. Here's his. Because you do. It, you guys did a version of the man of me from from uh, his new morning record. Didn't you? You and your we dad? Did. Yeah, man yeah. of me. Big Lebowski yeah. fame too. Yes. And you know, and, there, and there's a on that record that are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. On the Nothing Like a Sunny Day record, um, and there's a tribute to Dylan on that. Uh, uh, I think it's the last song on the record he talks about their relationship. Wow. Um I don't know really anyone that's ever really met Bob Dylan. That's a hard guy to get at there. So he started out in the shadows. He was he was in, he was my dad's piano player. Piano player. I know. Last few times I saw Dylan, he played piano the entire time. Yeah. So he he was the he was the piano player in the shadows in the very beginning. They did a tour together, and they, that it was kind of I think it was like Dylan's first paid gig. You know. Heart. 
would like to take a minute or two to thank the two sponsors of this week's podcast, Mosaic Chrysler Zombrota and the B-Dale Club. Monir, the owner of Mosaic Chrysler Zombrota, has picked up the Chevy dealership in Zombrota. So if you're on the market for new Chevy, check them out. I've had a wonderful experience navigating the winter season in my black Cherokee X. I got brand new from Mosaic Chrysler Zombrota. Very confidently heading to shows, dog work, whatever. I still absolutely love that thing. Their philosophy is simple, time-saving, hassle-free, fair price. Check out their inventory at ZombrotaCDJR.com. Or take the beautiful drive down US 52 to 1900 Roscoe Avenue, Zombrota, Minnesota, to visit them in person. Business hours are Monday through Friday, 8 to 6 p.m. and Saturday, 9 to 5 p.m. Closed on Sundays. Check out Mosaic Chrysler Zombrota today. Enjoy a safe winter season full of adventures and memories out on that open road in a new ride. Also, the BDL Club, the BDC 2100, I like to call it, one of my favorite bars in the Roseville slash St. Paul slash worldwide area. The BDL Club, located on the corner of Counter B, and Dale's motto is a place for family, a place for friends, a place for fun, and that is a stone cold truth. Rocking out with Andy Crowley tonight, who does the post-production for this podcast. It's going to be a really, really good time. We got a whole spring full of awesome musicians and live music. We got the winter bocce coming up in February. So be on the lookout for that. All kinds of great events at the Beto Club. Natalie, Shelley, Dustin, our bar staff, our state-of-the-art cocktail wizards. As of late, my libation of choice is the classic screw-up with very light OJ. And then to quote 16-time world champion Ric Flair, tasty little devils. Live music, pool table, pull tabs, Tuesday night, chess society, bingo, meat raffle, bocce ball, Thursdays, and much, much more. B-Dales truly got it all. Stop by for a cold one. Now, next up, I speak with Samuel Wilbur about his new album, The Age. Afterwards, here's new song, Bright Lights. Mr. Samuel Wilbur, welcome to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. How's it going today there, Sam? Excellent. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, man. Where are you zooming in from today? I'm at my home in Minneapolis. Uh, this is kind of my little studio, music studio space in our house. Excellent. You're a music educator? I am a educator. Yep. So I teach soul studies and journalism at North High School in Minneapolis. Really? Yeah. Well, that's excellent. Um, do you find inspiration doing that you can, you can put into your music? Yeah, for sure. I love working with kids, interacting with uh, the youth is always inspiring, for sure. Okay. Um, we're here to talk about new record, The Age. you mind telling us a little bit how you started the process of writing that record and recording it? For sure. So I put out a solo album every year, um, and this was the eighth or ninth one I've done of that. And so each year I try to tackle maybe a different genre or just kind of whatever I'm inspired by. And so the first song I had um, for this album was called A Promise, and it was kind of more indie, folk, even maybe even a little country kind of vibes to it. And so I was like, that's that's new to me, so let's try to see if I can do a whole album like this. And so um, that's what I set out to do, try to do some you know early 2000s indie folk kind of record. I definitely heard some of those influences. Uh, what bands were you kind of referencing while putting this this album together yeah um i mean i love uh rilo kiley and jenny lewis so some early of that definitely wilco is a huge inspiration and then and andrew bird as well so local natives was was a big uh band i liked back in the 2000s as well so yeah that that kind of vibe i was going for what's your favorite wilco record who it changes all the time um sky blue sky is one of my all-time favorites and you know, Ghost of Born, Yankee. Uh, yeah, Summer Teeth. Summer Can't Teeth is probably my favorite. I like that remix of Shot in the Arm at the end of the record. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Wilco's my all-time favorite band. And so that's... I'm always listening to um, what they're doing recently. And then all the past stuff is always... Have you got to meet Tweety or anything like that? I have seen Wilco live several times. When I was 16 years old, he... He came to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and that's where I was from. And they were touring on uh, Yankee. And I made a CD of my music and gave it to their merch person and asked them to give it to Jeff. And um, I don't know if that ever took place or not, but that was my... I, I took a swing when I was 16 to give him my music. I got a similar story when... Th was, I think it was Jeff playing solo 
at First Ave. And what's the drummer's name again? Is it Glenn? Glenn Kaki. Glenn Kaki, yeah. So he was outside having a cigarette or something after he opened for Jeff just all drums. And then so I walked up to him and I handed him my CD, the Nashville Handshake, they call that, you know. I said, hey, I'd love you guys to listen to this or give it to Jeff. And he goes, I already got it. I'm like, what? And I'd met him before and I gave him a CD like a year or two before. And he goes, he goes, yeah, I already have it. And he goes, I know this song here. And he whistled the song right back to me. He goes, I play this CD when I work in my garden. Wow. So you can get it to him. They might actually listen to it. The only way I actually believed him was that he did whistle along this, like he had an idea what the one song was. So I thought that was kind of cool anyway. Oh, that's really cool. But anywho, um, so the age, uh, did you track that in your studio right there? Yeah, I tracked everything in here. And then I had my friend Bob Bean. He came in and we went to the Minnehaha recording uh, studio in South Minneapolis and laid down drums. And yeah, uh, and then I got met Matt Patrick from the library recording studio, who's awesome, and he mixed and mastered the rest of the album. Okay, um, I'm going to ask you about a few tracks off the record, if you don't mind talking about the sure. story behind the song or how you were influenced or how you tracked anything kind of interesting. How about the song "The Age," the big production yeah. kind of folk song? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I wrote that um, one day just messing around and really liked the chord progression. And then I was just, with any song, I find the chord progression first, um, mumble, just make up lyrics, you know, for, for the melody. And then I kept re, um, reoccurring to this thematic of age, you know, and I just turned 38 and thinking about, you know, what my parents were doing when they were 38 and they had three kids, you know, and I have zero kids. So my, I'm in a, you know, just a, we're different generations and stuff like that. And then a couple of uh, peers and friends of mine that are my age, have also passed away in the last couple of years. So it's kind of weird, you know, we're getting to this age, um, almost to 40 where everyone's in, you know, very different places and just kind of reflecting on that and what that all means. Very interesting. Very interesting. How about the song Bright Lights? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, that one I wrote when I got COVID-19 for the first time, and I was stuck at home and not feeling great at all, but, I, you know, had very limited stuff that I could do. And I was just sitting in my room, um, quarantined away from my partner, and so I just was playing a lot of guitar and yeah, started strumming and picking and came up with that one and just kind of, yeah, I don't know, just kind of reflecting on <laughs> what I was feeling at that time. Yeah. Did you do feeling. a double vocal take, so sing it twice and top each other? Yeah, I do a lot of stacked vocals because I'm always self-conscious about my uh, singing and vocals, so I always I do a lot of double tracking and then, and I used to do triple, quadruple, and luckily I had... Uh, wiser heads told me to you know not strip it down and so yeah there's there's some there's double tracking on the chorus and then i thought in the verse i I heard it too ozzy osbourne does that every single song apparently always does a double of his track Mm -hmm. and that's his sound yeah i I know that uh jeff does that too jeff tweedy does that on songs elliot smith famously did that as well and so i i think sometimes it can achieve a really cool effect Oh, my God, I just thought of that, too. Yeah, on, especially on the song Camera off Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. The, the yep. cam, that's two guys doing it. Huh. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And what do you call that beat in that song, in the song Bright Lights? It's like kind of an alternative. I was trying to figure out how to even describe that. It's like the kind of a Kings of Leon drum beat at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, Bob Bean's handiwork. Yep, he's an incredible drummer. Um he does the drum tech for Jenny Lewis on tour right now. And um, so, yeah, I had some, I played programs, some mini toms just to kind of get the, the basic swing of the song. And then, yeah, he came in and, and really nailed some cool stuff. And um, yeah, I don't know what that beat would be called. I'm percussionist is not my, uh, you know, specialty. No, yeah, me he, at all either. Yeah. But he really gave it a cool, yeah, great energy for it for sure. And the one song I liked, uh, number eight, Good on Paper, with a female vocal. That catchy one. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we just filmed a music video for that, so that'll be really? coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's with uh, my friend Katie Burton, 
I met her via Craigslist. I put out, when I was recording this album, I put out a listing, you know, trying to find some uh, vocalists for some backups and duets. And she luckily reached out and she really laid on some cool kind of Lucinda Williams kind of like, um, you know, country vocals to it. And it really, really makes it sing nicely. Heck yeah. Can you tell us about your uh, upcoming CD release, album release show at the Ice House on January 18th? Yeah. Yeah, we're playing at the Ice House January 18th. I got a full band for the Samuel Wilbur Band, so that's super exciting. Got some really talented people. Matt Patrick on bass from the library. Um, Bryn Batani, who's a great uh, local musician. She's going to be playing keys. Um, Hope uh, Hooks, an incredible violin player, is going to be playing. And our my friend Nate Knudsen from um, Graded Community is going to be playing guitar. And so there'll be a lot of great musicians. And then... I'm really excited. It's my two favorite Minnesota bands, Full Catholic. Uh, we'll be playing afterwards, and Kiernan will be um, playing uh, to start off the night. And both Danny, the lead singer of Full Catholic, she sings on five songs in the album, so she'll be on stage singing with us. And then Laura Kiernan from Kiernan Band, she's in two songs, Promises and Seasons, so she'll be singing too. So we'll have a lot of special guest vocalists, and it's going to be a really fun night. That sounds great, man. That sounds great. Uh, what's your social media stuff? If you want to follow you, check out your record or check out your shows. Absolutely. Yes. Samuel Wilbur Music on Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, SamuelWilbur.com. Um, for, yeah, you can find all my music there. You can find my band camp, Samuel Wilbur. There's, I got over 150 songs on there, several albums, um, and on Spotify as well, Samuel Wilbur. So if you do an album every year, have you already started 2024s? Like this is just kind of old news, the age one? <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, it's just like like with the movie production, right? The movie always you know, takes years to come out, even though it's already done. So yeah, I already have the next one uh, is already done, completed. We're recording drums um, at the library recording studio in uh, February 1st. And then we'll mix that one and hopefully put that out uh, next year. And then I already have the bones of the next one after that uh written so <laughs> jesus <laughs> christ you're more prolific than ryan adams for god's sake i know that's what i do I, I work on music all the time and it's just my passion and i got and my strategy is you know the more music you put out the more chances you got of something connecting with people and you know i love exploring different genres and making different new things something new so if you could collaborate with anybody on earth would it be Tweety or who, would he be just too grumpy for you? Who would you pick? <laughs> I think he would be super friendly. I loved his little book about writing songs. I think he'd be great. Andrew Bird's an all-time inspiration of mine. I think he would be incredible, um, um, incredible to work with. I also really love Trent Reznor and the scores that he does. Um, I love what him and Atticus Ross do. So working with, uh, with him would be really, really exciting. Is your next record going to be along this vein or different as well? Yeah, next one's more rock and roll. Um, I got uh, Megan from Kiss the, the band Kiss the Tiger. She's singing on a couple songs, and so she's got such a great rock and roll voice. Um, so I'm excited for that. Last night, someone described it sounding like Garbage, the the band Garbage. So oh, kind yeah. Of some like, yeah, some 90s rock, a little bit like 90s indie rock kind of uh, energy is kind of what we're going for. It gets hard trying to remember It's hard enough just to pretend All my life I fought to surrender But I'll remember This is how it ends I'm not gonna be there when the floor falls out beneath you I'm not gonna be there when your world collapses again I'm not gonna be there when your time is up to defeat you How could I defeat you if I am trying to win? 
This week's episode of the Minnesota Music Shakedown is a track by one of the featured guests this week, Robbie V, with his song, Moon Soon Sunset. Thanks to Andrew Crowley from Organica Recording for assisting in post-production of this podcast. This has been the Minnesota Music Shakedown. If you'd like to toss a buck or two in the podcast tip jar, please go to patreon.com forward slash Mark Music. If you like what I do, check out my website, MarkSteryMusic.com. For song or artist submissions, please email me at MarkSteryMusic at gmail.com or message me on social media. Thanks for tuning in. Till next time. Guess this means another storm Sick of their small cloud.
Distance. Guess this means another storm. 